0: Welcome to Stories of Iceland. This is the first episode, and it's called Troublemaker Valley. Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavík. If you can, please take a look at a map of Iceland. What does it remind you of? Icelanders say that their island looks kind of like a sheep. The Westfjords peninsula in the northwest is the head. The two lower and thinner peninsulas In the west, Snifelsnes, Nereikanes, look like two feet. In the northeast, the Langanes Peninsula is the sheep's tail. Underneath the tail, there is a fjord where you might say that the sun never shines. Perhaps you do not see the resemblance between Iceland and a sheep. Maybe the point is that Icelanders have a strange fascination with what Wikipedia calls a quadrupedal ruminant mammal. For us, it is much more. It was our main foodstuff for a thousand years. It kept us fat and it kept us warm in more ways than one. When we talk about money, we talk about "vie, which is another word for sheep. When my great-great-grandfather killed the Frenchman, it was because the man was trying to steal sheep. In this episode, I am going to focus on a valley which is in the middle of northern Iceland, midway between the head and the tail of the sheep. You can find it by searching for the long fjord that cuts down the back of the sheep. That is fjord, literally the fjord that has an island in it. The island in question is Hrysi, and if you can spot it, you can see the small fishing town of Dalvik on the coast, southwest of the island. The town's name means Valley Bay, so you might begin to see a pattern in Icelandic toponyms. Icelanders use place names that are often very literal. We also connect words to make longer words, and that is how we get a volcano named Eyjafjallajökull, which means Island Mountain Glacier. But Dalvik is an easy name, so easy that an important bit of software in the early version of the Android operating system was called Dalvik. The software engineer had traced his roots to this little town, so it seems lucky that the town changed its name from the original Bakvistadassandur, which even in Icelandic does not flow off the tongue. If you want to visit Dalvik, you might consider doing it in August when it celebrates the Big Fish Day, because then you can get free fish to eat. This town festival has also been a godsend for homophobic residents of our capital Reykjavík, who flee north so they won't be embarrassed by the Gay Pride Festival, which is always held on the same weekend. So if you don't like fish, but do like gay people, you should spend that weekend in Reykjavík. The valley which Stálvik is named after is called Svarváðardalr, which is a great Icelandic name. Say it with me. In the Icelandic Book of Settlements, we are told the name is derived from the settler Thorsteinn Röðarsson, who had the nickname Svarvadur, which means troublemaker. So in English, we could call it troublemaker valley. Troublemaker valley has two main parts. One is Svarvadalur itself and the other is Skíðardalur, which in Icelandic means skiing valley. It is not named for any skiing slopes, but rather a man called Skidi, which does translate to skier. These are the two most beautiful valleys in Iceland, or so my grandfather claimed, and to my knowledge, this has never been disproven. If you're looking for a hike, you can go over a heath and end up near the old episcopal see of Holar. To get there, you have to go through Hell Valley which got its name when a lot of people died traveling there. But don't worry, you'll be fine. Just get someone who knows the area to lead the way. Troublemaker Valley has its own Icelandic saga, which is called Svarvdæla, the story of the people of Svarvadalur. There we find a narrative about the first settlers in the valley and about how, why and when they killed each other. Our friends, Thorsted Troublemaker and Skidi the Skier. Are prominent characters there. But I would rather focus on another character, Klauvi Snækulsson. His first name, Klauvi, is related to the English word cleave, but in Icelandic the meaning has morphed and now it means somebody who is bumbling or a klutz. The saga of Troublemaker Valley has more weird names. We have a man called Pig, another named Beardy, one whose name in modern Icelandic means ugly, but used to mean pretty, and the father of Klövi the Klotsch was called Snowy Head. I don't know the story behind the name, but I'd like to think that he had a problem with dandruff. His son, Klövi the clutch, was a berserker. Such men are great in battle, but bad as neighbors. He was a hot-hat and prone to killing people when they annoyed him and he was easily annoyed. In the true spirit of the Icelandic sagas, he was also a poet. He was very romantic and loved the most beautiful woman of his time, Íngveldur Pretty Cheeks. His main problem, aside from his temper, was that Pretty Cheeks didn't love him back. Even though he was only an ugly, ill-tempered poet, Clovy the Klutz was also the nephew of Thorsted Troublemaker, and with the help of his powerful family, he was able to force Pretty Cheeks to marry him. It was quite obvious that this marriage was a bad idea. Clövi's cousin, Karl the Red, even said that the marriage would be the death of him. That prediction like every prediction made in the Icelandic sagas, came true. When he was trying to get in bed with his beautiful wife, she called out her brothers who chopped off his head. While most people would have given up at that point, we must remember that Clövi was a berserker and a poet, and most importantly, a romantic. He picked up his head and went to see his cousin, Karl red, and told him that he wanted revenge. Karl does his family duty and goes to fight those responsible. One of them is a man named Pick. And when Karl has killed him, he says, That's how people from my house chop picks. But the battle was not won until Klebe himself came to fight. He turned up with his own severed head and started beating people with it. Then, for some reason, his enemies started to flee. Even after after he won the battle, Klövi sticks around for a while. He ends up killing his wife's lover, and after that his cousin Karl has had enough and digs his body out of his burial mound. Then the body is burned and the ashes is buried near what is now the farm Klövabrekka, the hill of the Clutch. On that farm my great-grandmother was born in 1881. Her name was Deinun Siltriksdottir. She married my great grandfather and they had six children. They worked hard as all poor Icelanders had to do and were paying for the farm they lived on. But in 1910 the manager of their bank disappeared with all their savings. He ended up in Canada where he lived a long life after starting the Icelandic tradition of thieving bankers. But my great grandparents lost their farm and spent the next years moving around the valley as tenants. So when my grandfather was born in 1913, they were poorer than ever. A telling story is when his mother saw her neighbor pour milk into a bowl for a cats, she said, I could cry into that bowl, since he had no milk for her own children. She died before my grandfather turned ten, and he and his siblings were split up and put into the Icelandic traditional foster care system, where children were housed with the lowest bidder while their father had to find work where he could. My grandfather once told me a story about his neighbors in the valley. There were three siblings living on a farm, two men and a woman. One of the brothers was mentally challenged and when his siblings had to leave him alone, they put him on a leash, so he couldn't go anywhere. That memory troubled my grandfather, and it makes it clear that at that time and place, it wasn't easy being different. In the same year my grandfather was born, another boy was born in nearby Akureyri. His name was Johan Kristin Pietersson. Before his first birthday, his parents moved to Dalvik, and when he was still young, they moved to a farm in Troublemaker Valley that belonged to his mother's family. They didn't have much, but life wasn't really hard until his father died when he was 13 years old. At the same time, Johann started growing. He became bigger than the boys his age, taller than my grandfather, and then much bigger than grown men. His growth was so fast that once he went to a tailor to get a custom suit, but when he returned to claim the suit two weeks later, it was already too small. Johann was not only big, but he was also strong. He could hold a hundred kilos on his shoulders, and he liked to work. That was also his way of proving himself. People had tended to mock him and call him a giant or tr- troll, so he used his giant strength for work. The best money could be made by manning an oar on a fishing boat. He did that to supplement his family's income. But his problem was that for rowing he needed watertight boots, and since his feet were as big as the rest of him, he could not get the right size. He spent up to 20 minutes squeezing himself into boots that were much too small. So, after working on the sea for a few years, his feet became so injured that about the time he turned 20, he had to spend about two years in the hospital in Akureyri. Johann was popular in the hospital. There is one picture from that period that shows all the patients and staff standing with Johann smiling. Among them is my grandfather, who seems to be too cool to be photographed. My grandfather was there for his weak lungs, which would give him trouble for the rest of his life. My grandfather and Johan were probably there on the 2nd of June, 1934, when an earthquake shook the hospital so hard that the ceiling seemed to go in waves, and my grandfather had to hold down a recently amputated man who was trying to run outside. For that, the amputee's daughter gave him a whole krona, which was a lot of money at the time. The earthquake was bad in Akureyri, but it was much worse back home in the valley, and especially in Dalvik, where many houses were destroyed, though luckily no one was seriously injured. When news of Johann's size got out, he became famous in Iceland. His height and strength were seized upon by doctors and scholars whose wild theories proclaimed that the Viking settlers of Iceland had really been as strong as he was. So, according to them, he was not an anomaly, but rather a reappearance of the great Icelanders of the sagas. You can pause for a moment and think about Clever the Klutz as a giant man hitting people with his severed head— of course, this fantastic fantasy has no basis in fact. More level headed doctors have since theorized that a head injury from when Johann was a child is more likely as an explanation for his height. After being released from the hospital in 1935, Johann decided to leave Iceland. His mother had died the year before, and he could not return to his fishing boat without re injuring himself. He turned to the municipal government, which gave him money to go to Denmark on the heartwarming grounds that if he stayed he would become a financial burden on them, so better to spend some money to get rid of him forever. Work was hard to find in Denmark, so he ended up joining a circus. At first he went under contract in Denmark where he couldn't show his face in public, but later he traveled around performing in Western Europe. He paired up with a tiny German man so that they could proclaim to be the world's tallest and smallest men. He did not like performing and said it made him feel like a monkey in a cage. When World War II broke out, Johann got stuck in Denmark under Nazi occupation. During the war, Johann often worked as a performer played the part of Gulliver in a children's play and also got a couple of small roles in forgettable movies. At the end of the war, he returned to a newly independent Iceland, which had gotten out of the depression by making money off the war. He traveled around the country in his oversized car, putting on shows where he told people about his adventures and screened movies. Johan dreamed of settling down in Reykjavik. He wanted to open a kiosk where he could stand on a lower level than his customers and thus be able to meet them in the eye, and his height wouldn't be a hindrance. The authorities in Reykjavik and Iceland did nothing to help him. He wasn't allowed to open a kiosk and he didn't get extra rations of gas so he could keep travelling around performing. So, he left for America in 1948. Johan didn't speak any English and ended up working for the Ringling Brothers Circus. He also tried his luck in Hollywood. His biggest role was in a movie called Prehistoric Women, where he played the giant Gaudi. To call this a B-movie would be generous. He would later say that the movie wasn't as terrible as people had claimed, but I think he just liked being around all those scantily clad prehistoric women. His lack of English was not a problem in this part. Unsatisfied with the pay he got from the movie, he settled in the American carnival circuit. He proclaimed himself to be the Viking giant and spent the off-season in a carnival town in Florida, where he played Santa every Christmas. He visited Iceland occasionally, often to get medical treatment, which would have been much too expensive in the U.S., when he got older, the Icelandic parliament gave him a regular salary to help him. He was also encouraged to move back home by then-president Christian Eldjarn, who was another native of Troublemaker Valley. The president's name was not patronymic, as is the custom in Iceland, but rather a family name, Eldjarn, which means fire iron. President Fire Iron was born in 1917, only four years younger than Johann. He was from a more affluent family than Johann, and had been an archaeologist and a curator at the National History Museum before he became president in 1968. His first archaeology dig was in Troublemaker Valley, at the site where Clovis the Klotz was supposed to have built his farm. There had indeed been a farmhouse there, but no other signs of the Berserker were found. It should also be added that no archaeologist has ever found any trace of the supposed viking giants of old. In 1980, Johan was still in America, but had become quite frail. In that year he had a part in a movie called *Carney*, starring the always offbeat Gary Busey and the always wonderful Jodie Foster. Although the movie is much better than prehistoric women, it is mostly notable for the real-life carnies who appeared in it. Some people might also be interested in seeing a young Gary Busey as a demented clown. While making the movie, there was a heavy police presence because of a real-life crazy fan stalking Jodie Foster. That fan got his fame when he tried to impress Jodie by shooting then-president Ronald Reagan. In 1982, Johan finally moved back to Iceland. He spent a year in hospital before going north to Dalvik, where he spent his last year in an old folks' home, which, in Iceland, is best known for a weather club, which Icelanders often claim is more accurate than the Icelandic weather service. He managed to outlive his friend, the former president of Iceland. After hearing this story, you might be asking yourself how tall Johan Really was. Johan, could you stand up, sir? Yeah. Johan is the tallest man in the world. How tall are you, Johan? About 8 feet 2 inches tall. You know his yeah, wedding right. ring is big, silver dollar face. There he claims to be two and a half meters tall, but that seems unlikely. When you are marketing yourself as the tallest man in the world, you have to exaggerate a little. His height is estimated to have peaked at about 2 meters 34 centimeters, which is about 7 feet 8 inches. While there are many people who were taller, his height would have made him taller than any basketball player that has ever played in the NBA. He was also more fortunate than many of his fellow tall men who died quite young. He was 71 years old when he died in 1984 and... In an obituary he got the highest praise that any Icelander can received. He was said to have been a góður Drinkur, which literally translates that he was a good boy, but really means that he was considered a righteous man. Johann was called many things over the years, but he always liked to call himself Johann Swartlingur, Johann from Troublemaker Valley. He was not the tallest man in the world, but he was the tallest person in Iceland. Considering how few people live in Iceland, we could say he was the tallest per capita. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and also check out the website storiesoficeland.com. My name is Ølknýstý Solérsson, and you have been listening to Stories of Iceland, Troublemaker Valley.